So um, every year, our guiding teachers, Tim Guile and Tawari Salah, pick a topic for us to spend the year exploring. And this year, they've chosen the threes. As you know, in Buddhism, there are lists of all kinds of numbers, fours and eights and so on. And I hadn't at first realized just how clever and smart Tim and Tawari were in terms of how they organized these sets of threes. So we started the year with the refuges, the grounding ourselves in the fundamentals of a path and talking about something that we could all feel pretty warm and cozy about, you know, the Buddha and the possibility of freedom, the Dhamma and, <clears throat> excuse me, the truth of the way things are, and the Sangha, the community we love. And then we moved into the three characteristics of dukkha or unsatisfactoriness or suffering, anicca or impermanence, and anatta or not-self. Not easy and part of the basic understanding of the Dhamma. And I think we really needed those three to prepare us now for the summer months where we're exploring the three poisons of greed hatred, and delusion. Nothing warm and cozy about these three. And as Tawari pointed out on Monday night, she said we really need a clear understanding of the three characteristics, especially, well, all three, in order to not go into a place of self-judgment and self-hatred. So we bookended the threes in the last three months of the year are going to be the three pillars of insight practice, wisdom or prajna, generosity or dana, and sila or ethical conduct. And these three pillars are also the antidotes to the three poisons. This year is kind of sandwiched with the heart-mind practices of the refuges at the beginning and the three pillars at the end. And here we are, the best three months of the year in the Pacific Northwest, and we're going to immerse ourselves in the unwholesome states of mind, greed, hatred, and delusion. There are three afflictions or character flaws if they go unattended. And they're called poisons because they pollute our very lives and prevent us from really turning our hearts and minds towards goodness. This morning, I'm going to give an introduction to the three poisons and then spend some time on the poison of greed. And throughout the month, Lyndall and Lauren will further examine greed. And then in August, we'll look at hatred and ill will, and we'll start the fall with delusion. Kind of a funny statement. So the three poisons, they're unwholesome roots. They're said to be the negative qualities of mind. And I think we could also say that they are the basis of most of the problems of the world. If we take a minute and kind of think about what all is happening in our world, I think we could trace them back to the unwholesome roots of greed, hatred, and delusion. These three poisons have been institutionalized, not only in our culture, but throughout the world. You know, a real obvious example is when the tragedy of 9-11 happened, we were told to go shopping. 
hating those with differences, you know, who are different from, different from us, has become a rallying cry of certain segments of our population. And we often choose to be ignorant of what is actually happening and going around around us, especially if we're not directly affected by it. There are two um, main suttas that, are, that I read um, that describe these three poisons. One of them is the Mula Sutta, which is Mula means roots. And the other one, which is hard to say, I'm going to try it, Adita Pariyaya Sutta, which is called the Fire Sermon, where the Buddha describes the three poisons as three fires. You know, when we talk about nibbana or freedom, it's often described as cooling the fires or extinguishing the fires of greed, hatred, and delusion. Fully understanding these three poisons and practicing with them is really an important doorway toward freedom. When Lauren and Lyndall and I had our meeting to discuss these three and set up the schedule, Lyndall mentioned that none of us want to own that title or that identity of being greedy. You know, of course, we're all kind, compassionate, generous Dharma students. I'm not greedy. And similarly, we don't want to say, you know, I'm not hateful. I'm not mean. And yet I think these very words of greed, hatred, and delusion are really important for us to use them. They're big words and they're demanding words and they kind of require a response. There's nothing soft or, you know, wishy-washy about greed, hatred, and delusion. They go right to the heart of dukkha. The teaching says you, me, all of us have to deal with the greed, hatred, and delusion inside of us. That inclination that Lyndall mentioned and Lauren and I really identified with, and none of us want to see ourselves as greedy, hatred, greedy, hateful, or confused. I think in that way makes it even more important to examine it. And these poisons, these unskillful, unwholesome roots, we see them as we are, um, as we practice. You know, we watch the habit of mind where we hook onto pleasant thoughts objects or experiences and we want more of them and we want them to last and the habit of mind where you know we don't like something a thought an object a person an experience and we stir up all kinds of energy to push it away to blame it to call it names to want it to go away and then there's the habit of mind where you know we're kind of confused or we avoid dealing with what's right there in front of us maybe because it's scary or troublesome. And most importantly, delusion is often defined as the lack of understanding of the true nature of impermanence. The truth of anicca, impermanence, makes us feel so unsettled and uneasy and dissatisfied. And then in our delusion, we continue to seek happiness in things and people and circumstances that don't last. There are a couple of Pali words that are used to describe greed. You know, Pali is the original language of the Buddha. One deals mostly with the sensual pleasures, and that is, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing either of these correctly, but this one is raga, R-A-G-A. 
And you could say it's the kind of greed of the sensual pleasures that might become an addiction. And the other word in Pali is lobha, L-O-B-H-A. And it has more to do with acquiring things like material things and money and praise and other ego satisfactions. I think it's really helpful to look at greed as it appears on a continuum. The second noble truth, after the first noble truth, it says there is dukkha, there is dissatisfaction. The second one says it's caused by clinking. And we can say it's caused by greed. The continuum, I think there's the, the wanting, then the holding on, then the clinging, then really getting hooked by it, maybe taking identification in it. And it feels like the clinging takes over the entire moment. And then at that end of the continuum, I think it really becomes greed. Practicing with small moments of wanting and watching as it turns into those bigger moments and that clinging and being hooked, that's really important. And that's what we're going to be working with all month. So I want us to look at a whole bunch of examples for how we can explore looking at this quality of mind of greed. A good one to start with, and it might be a small one or it might be a big one, is food. You know how you notice the lusting over the last piece of chocolate cake when there's a group of people together celebrating a birthday. Or if you go out for Asian food and you're sharing with other people and you really want to take that last shrimp or mushroom or whatever. And... Um, we feel that leaning in, a strong pull. And most often, I think we use discernment and we make an appropriate decision. You know, perhaps you grew up in a really big family or in circumstances where there wasn't always enough food for everyone. If your circumstances have improved, and I certainly hope so, but perhaps you're still responding by taking all you possibly can from the fear that you won't have enough, that there won't be enough for you. For those of us fortunate enough to go on meditation retreats, standing in line for lunch is always just a great opportunity to watch our greed. You know, do we take our fair share? Do we even think about what does it mean, our fair share? Do we act from not enough? I better take as much as I can because if I'm still hungry and there won't be anything left, and then what do I do? Um, and we re revisit our the second precept of refraining from taking that which is not freely offered. I mean, they, the word freely, or the phrase freely offered, I think is an important part of, it's not just about stealing, but it's about how much do we actually take and whether it's freely offered. So the important part, I think, of working with greed is to feel the pull. You know, feel the Vedana arising, the pleasant and unpleasant and neutral, and watch as we cling or push away. Greed is, you know, this clinging, this wanting, it's a natural response of the mind to want things that are pleasant. And wanting is not the problem, it's our relationship to the wanting. Do we idealize it? Do we cling to it? Do we insist upon having what we want? 
Do we insist upon the rightness of what we think and believe? You know, we did, do we kind of obsess about it? Do we take birth in the wanting? Do we, are we defined by it? You know, it's the same thing with hatred or aversion. Not liking what is unpleasant or hurtful is natural, but it's what we do with all of that. It's how we're caught by it. Again, you know, pleasure by its very nature will arise and pass away, and it's not the problem. Same thing with unpleasantness. It's not the problem. It's our, what we're focusing on is our ability to see that it'll arise and pass away, and our ability to see that clinging to it or pushing it away is not the, the path towards happiness. Just like the poem said, Holly Hughes says, the mind always wants more than it has, rejecting what is actually in the moment and wishing it to be otherwise. So after food, I think we could look at our relationship to money. Many of us have a really hard time talking about money, how much we make, how we make our money, how much we have, how much we want, how much we worry about it. And of course, for some, this is a privilege because there are certainly people in our community for whom not having enough is a very real circumstance. Many of us are not in that situation. So when I bring this up, I'm not trying to ignore the, the truth of when um, not enough is, is the truth for people. But greed is so highly valued in our culture. We're actually encouraged to get as much as you can, however you can do it, to make more and more money. And just like Lyndall said, you know, I don't think of myself as greedy, but recently I had to really look at it. I'm a landlord. Um, I have seven small business tenants. And for the last 30 years, all of my tenants have been paying rents that are way under market rate. When my partner and I first set the rates, we asked ourselves, well, what do we need to make a living? And then we decided to set the rates low so we could attract and support small blue-collar businesses. And that's worked for all these years. I plan on retiring by the end of next year, and I know that I'm going to need to pay someone to manage the property and do all the work that I do. And as a result, I need to make more income. I've been noticing as I've been marketing these shop spaces and deciding on the rents that inclination towards making the rents even higher than actually I need them to be, that kind of niggling, wanting more. You know, on the issue of greed, I bet any of us could identify a person or a group that we say, oh, they are really they man, you know, they're the best image of greed. But what we're doing here in our practice is looking at how that unwholesome root shows up in our own lives. Another way to look in practice with greed is about experiences. Traveling is a wonderful thing. You know, it allows us to open up to other cultures, peoples, ways of living, and it offers various and really exciting experiences. But there's also a way where our desire for new and varied experiences is a kind of greed. In our practice, we've learned that every moment, 
exists in the sense doors. We experience it through sight, smell, taste, hearing, touch, and thought. And every experience is known that way, whether you're at home or whether you're in Ecuador. Um, and so just looking at all the planning that we do for yet another really wonderful experience and just ask yourself, is there a kind of a greed um, as part of this? Looking at relationships is another really good way of noticing when that unwholesome mood might show up. I think we've all known someone who takes up more than half the space in a friendship. Perhaps we were that person at some point in our lives. The one who takes up more than half the oxygen in the room, who dominates the conversation, who always brings any topic back to themselves. You know, it's a kind of greed for space, time, and attention. We look in as another part of relationships at all the times when we had to be right. There's a kind of greed of how we hold on to our opinions and views. The greed becomes so big, the, the, it's essential that I'm right and that you acknowledge it. You know, that sometimes that becomes even more important than being connected with the friend who's right there next to us. As we examine greed inside of us, these, these roots, there are times when there might be both wholesome and unwholesome uh, clinging and greed that shows up. I start almost every meditation with reciting to myself the five recollections on aging, illness, death, and separation from all who I love and care about and that the only thing I really own are my actions. I almost always have a fairly strong response to one of the phrases. The other morning when I recited, I am of the nature to die, I cannot escape death. The response inside of me was so strong, was so visceral. The words in my head were, but I love living and I want to continue living and I want to experience fully all of my life and all of what I have left. And on the one hand, because I was preparing for this talk, I was looking at, you know, where, where was some wholesomeness in that? And I think the wholesomeness was that I was focused on the preciousness of life and wanting to appreciate and fully experience every moment. On the other hand, I could also feel some of the grasping, the selfing, you know, that it wasn't just about living more years, it was about Sue's and all of my identities continuing, you know. So greed can show up in all kinds of ways, and including greed in our practice. I want more bliss states. I want jhana experiences. You know, and some of our desires in practice are wholesome, and some are unwholesome. So last Monday night when Tuwari said that truly understanding anatta, not self, is so essential for looking at these poisons, these greeds, I think I really encourage all of us to look at how much of me is in that experience of wanting and clinging and being hooked on and obsessing and taking identity in it. She warned us that without a, a real solid understanding of selfing, 
it would be easy to fall into a lot of self-judgment and even self-hate. It's not easy to examine these unwholesome roots. It's not easy to own, yeah. I'm greedy sometimes, maybe a lot of times. These unwholesome roots cause harm both towards others and they cause our harm to ourselves when we're filled with them. You know, as we look at the harm that is caused to ourselves, that greed seems to feed that small, contracted self. It feeds the fear and the belief in not enough and insufficiency. And also greed is often in stark contrast to our ethical beliefs and our precepts to Sila. Greed harms others in so many ways, certainly the obvious if you take more than is your fair share. But it also sends a message to others that they don't really matter, only I matter. And then it reduces or even re removes the real chance of, of connection to them. So when you notice these subtle or gross examples of greed that come up, asking yourself some questions might be helpful. You know, how does this feel in the body? Do you feel a contraction, a tightness? Is there maybe an, another underlying factor that's feeding the greed? Certainly in the example of when we cling to our opinions and views, often there's a fear of not really being seen or heard or validated. Like so many aspects of the Dhamma, greed is in fact another doorway inviting us to examine more closely what is actually in our minds and hearts. So in a couple minutes, we're going to be going into breakout groups. And I've been over these years just so deeply moved by how honest and open and vulnerable everybody is willing to be. And I encourage us to continue that beautiful process as we explore this unwholesome root of greed, how it shows up, how we practice with it. I'd like to leave us with the, this idea that when greed does show up, as you're going to be exploring it in all its many disguises that we offer kindness and compassion to ourselves some phrases that might be helpful i care about this small contracted self that is so attached to getting my way or i care about this small contracted self that is so attached to constantly seeking more and more experiences you can add your own words. The important thing, I think, is to offer kindness and care to this very normal, natural human experience. One of my favorite teachers who used to come here regularly, Heather Martin, who lives up in Salt Spring, Canada, Salt Spring Island, instead of saying, I care about this small contracted self that is so attached to whatever, she would just put her hand over her heart and go, there, there, honey. So thank you for listening and for your attention. And I hope that those of you who can stay will stay. And um, those who have to leave now, um, for whatever reason, um, thanks for being here. And... Um,
um, we'll say goodbye and hope to see you again soon. So I'm going to be um, creating some breakout rooms. And um, as I'm doing that, Thank you all for being willing and able to stay this morning. That's lovely. Um, and it's so nice to be able to hear everybody get to hear some of the important things that were shared that you uh, feel are important that you'd like to share with everybody. I think you can unmute. And if you want to go to your reactions button and raise your virtual hand, if you want to just go like this, I will. I can. I have everybody up on my screen, and so I have a big enough monitor. I can see everybody. So happy to hear anybody who wants to say anything about this lovely poison of greed. Lauren, please, can you unmute? Yeah, we had a we had a great discussion, and um, I'm not going to share what the other people shared, but I hope maybe they will. Um, but um, we did appreciate how honest you were, Suze, about you know starting right there with death, you know, <laughs> and I certainly can identify with that, and um, and the wholesomeness and unwholesomeness that's that's a good way to look at it so but what came up to me that was kind of a discovery was um that my perfectionist that perfectionism that nothing was good enough where i just keep trying to make it better and better and better until i would hit like um you know either i'd run out of money or i'd run out of time that kind of thing it's just not good enough so um, that one thing that I've started practicing with is good enough and being with the discomfort. For me, it's very uncomfortable usually to say good enough, but it's gotten easier. And it also has been, I've started to see the um, wholesomeness and actually the, the contentment of just to say Good enough. I don't have to do more. It doesn't have to be more beautiful. It doesn't have to be more, you know, excellent or whatever. So that's. Wow. Thank you so much for adding that perspective. Um, that's really helpful. Yeah. Um, Bruce and Sean, please. I've been. Um... I have two things. When she was talking about good enough, um, I was talking about the greed I experienced during retreat of having a cosmic experience. Um, and a teacher saying, well, um, right now we're going in, in a guided meditation. Don't meditate. And how difficult it is to stop because of that greed of having to Having to have be be loved, and then I think about we calling us calling these poisons. Maybe they're not. Yeah. Like when I went through chemotherapy, I called 
I was going to go get the poison. And Steve Wilhelm said, maybe you should call it something else, like maybe warrior healing elixir. So maybe there's a really positive, wonderful thing, just like the hindrances, just like all the dukkha, everything else. I'm wondering what I could call it. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Bruce. Um, For me, and I think each person, you know, go through this process. For me, poison is really helpful because it kind of like slaps me. It's like, okay, girl, you thought of yourself as not greedy. Deal with it. It's there. So for me, that harsh word has been helpful. And I hear how it may not be for you. And um, love to hear from others as well. Um, so thanks for sharing that, Bruce. Um, and and that the second part that you shared of when you have one of those aha or big experiences on retreat and then it like fills up everything and takes over and you want it to last and whatever, all of that. Thanks for sharing that. Julie, please. Hi there. Yeah, I I also am one of these people who maybe the word poison is a little bit loaded because I've noticed in myself that I have a tendency toward um, a lot of self-judgment. And I really appreciate you talking about the compassion, um, you know, at the end of your talk, Seuss, because I think that... Um, I know that I personally, and I imagine many other people too, um, you know, the self-compassion um, is something that you need to sort of nurture and uh, as you go through these processes, uh, because it's just too conditioned to have the guilt and the shame and all these other attachments when you recognize something in yourself that you don't like. Yeah. And how... We can even bring that kind of greedy habit of mind towards the things we don't like and the things about ourselves we don't like and go over and over and over and over it. So um, that compassion of, and I liked, I got those phrases from somewhere else, I don't remember, but to have, I care about this small, contracted, attached being, you know, and owning that that's where it's at, that's what's happening, but you care about it, and it's what the mind does. And, um, yeah, so thanks, Julie. Yeah. yeah, you're welcome. And I just want to say one more thing. I mean, it's your follow-up you just brought something else in me that, you know, we can – I think it's so true that we can be attached to unwholesome states and not even realize we're un- un- attached to unwholesome states. And I – um, I mean, I don't think that I want my unwholesome states, but I have people that I'm very close to and they just can't seem to shake the habitual tendency to just be in a very negative spiral. Uh, it's just, it's all pretty fascinating stuff. But uh, the main thing I wanted to do was call up the the whole idea of self-compassion and how much I appreciate it. You're welcome. And I appreciate it too, that I found it when I was working on this. And um, 
Yeah, thanks. So Helen. Thank you. Um, yeah, one thing that has come through for me from this morning and the um, time in my small group is the idea that wanting is a spectrum, like so many things, that there are actually positive examples of wanting. Um, like curiosity to me is a really positive thing and that's a type of wanting. Um, and then, you know, our life force, our interest in things, imagination, just all the different examples that could be connected to wanting. And, and it goes back to what you said about it's not the wanting itself. That's the problem. It's our relationship to it. So it was really interesting to be able to see another side to wanting and how wanting can be a, a positive thing. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for that reminder. You know, and absolutely curiosity and wanting to be interested in what's happening in our minds. You know, there there's kind of an essential curiosity and interest that we need to bring to our practice um, so that, you know, we, in a way, it's a leaning forward, wanting to know what's next, what's going to show up this time. And uh, yeah, that there can be wholesome and, and uh, unwholesome. Yeah. Anyone else wanting to share? Yes, Maura, please. You can unmute. Thanks for reminding me. Thank you so much, Suze, for the, the talk. I, I really brought up a lot of ideas for me. And one thing, I think we had a good discussion in our group. Um, one thing, but these ideas keep coming up as, as I hear everybody else talking um, about their experiences. And I think, um, I think for me, these, because um, I, I, I understand what people are saying about what this is, you know, what that term poisons mean. But I think there's a matter of degree, um, like anything else. And I think to me, greed and hatred and delusion become poisons when they become very destructive for oneself and for others. Oh. And so I think that um, I keep that in mind. And I think what centers me back to... Um, to um, dealing with that is not to push it away, but to focus on love and kindness. Mm -hmm. And to me, that that brings me that helps bring me out of that mode of, um, you know, wanting to get everything, because I, I think the experience of sharing and being with others and loving other people helps me, pulls me out of that space of the ego and the selfishness that I think is sometimes the source of, of these negative experiences. Well, thank you for, for reframing that of how greed, hatred, and delusion become poisons. That's I find that really helpful. Thank you, Mara. So last yeah. one, Lillian and Nikhil, please. I don't know what, maybe we could have room for another one after that. <clears throat> I think Helen's uh, waiting too. Yeah, that, that reminded me a little bit about, as you were talking, something that came to mind was how uh, greed and not-self seem to be related a little bit and how greed kind of um, stems from the selfishness. Um, and 
just yeah, the relationship I guess between read and not self and how we're just so we're so wrapped up in our own experience. The only thing we experience is ourselves and how that naturally just kind of puts ourselves at the forefront of what you know, everything that we do and how we interact with the world and with others. And um, yeah, just I, I think as we try to bring more objectivity to ourselves and more more of an ability to see see things from having having a little bit more space to to the experiences that we're having, how that can help um, bring a perspective to to some of these unwholesome qualities that we present and how selfishness present Yeah. Thank you, Nikhil. I think that's really right on that um, that me gets really big in greed. Yeah. Um, yeah, thank you. It's so funny on, you know, where people's boxes move around. <laughs> You're looking one place and then everybody, then they move there. They all of a sudden, where do you go? Um, anyone else? We have, I just have a few announcements and then we'll close with a little bit of dedication of merit and,